from the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hey, welcome everybody. It's uh, Pete here at Masonic Light Podcast. Uh, Hi, we're, Pete. we're episode what? God, I should have looked that up. We should have before we started. Yeah, one eleven. So uh, a hundred. Wait, that's a that's a lot of ones. That's three ones. That'll win you a poker game right there. Three aces, man. So on tonight's show, uh, we are going to be interviewing a a Masonic brother of ours uh, named Brian Smith. Say hi, Brian. How you doing? So, uh, Brian, uh, tonight's. Interviews not really so much are going to be about Freemasonry, but it's more going to be about, you know, somebody's real job. And his real job is working at the hospital, and he'll give us a little bit more about his background later. Uh, but let's go around. What have you guys been up to in the past couple of weeks? Jack? Well, I took a hiatus and went up to Massachusetts to visit my um, chil- children's. Uh, and the new grandbaby. So those of you that see me on Facebook, you've seen pictures of the grandbaby, and he is awesome. Pretty much that's it, Masonically speaking. Tim, have you been up to anything? Not really. I mean, everything's been shut down in Pennsylvania since um, the 1st of December, and uh, although uh, we did get word this week that we were going to be allowed to open again um, starting February 1st, so um, just... Processing a lot of dues checks and uh, beginning to work on our lodge audit. That's about it. Uh, Josh, but you're the only other act, really active guy right now. What's going on with you? Uh, we had our monthly Zoom meeting for Lamberton Lodge. Um, other than that, just the normal behind-the-scenes stuff. Larry, anything for you? I'm or who was going to talk? Out. Larry, you know, me, Larry. me, me, me. Uh, Clear. I read the uh, uh, Scottish Rite magazine. Does that count? Yes, absolutely. There you go. Scottish Rite magazine, and the Pennsylvania Freemason came in. That wasn't such a good magazine this time because we were a harsh critic. Yeah, harsh, Ooh. and that's a wonderful yeah. magazine, ninety-nine percent of the time. But I think because of COVID, they, nobody's working there. Well, and there's and uh, Brian, have you have you looked at anything? Brian, have you looked at your dues card? What have you? (laughs) Have I looked at it? Yeah, have you done anything in the Masonic world in the past couple weeks? No, no, I haven't. Just working and drinking. That's pretty much it. That's two good things. Two Masonic things. Yeah, I'd like to just for a minute, Josh, help help me understand what your Zoom meetings look like. Are, Are you are they business meetings? Are you are we allowed to do business in a Zoom meeting? Uh, we don't really do uh, lodge business. We just kind of get together, talk a little bit, and uh, you know, I'll usually prepare like a little 
some sort of little presentation or talk about something. Nice. Well done. But yeah, other than that, it, it's, it's pretty light. It's not, you know, it's not a tiled meeting or anything, obviously. How many do you get? Uh, usually 12 to 15 guys, something like that. Okay. Wow. That's impressive. Same, same, mostly the same guys, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's the usual the crowd. Are, yeah. But honestly, there's been a couple people that I haven't seen for a while, actually, that have shown up. So that's, that's cool great. Too. That's why you do it. It appears. Hey, uh, Tim, before we go to our first break, will you uh, tell us, tell our listeners about our patrons? Absolutely. We are, um, we're on the air uh, and supported by our patrons on Patreon. Um, I think that got that in the correct order. Um, but uh, for as little as $1 a month, $1. you can keep these shenanigans going. Uh, we want to especially thank our $13 a month supporters. Uh, but we also appreciate both our $5 and $1 supporters. You can uh, find that information at patreon.com slash Masonic Light Podcast. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk to our guest, Brian D. Smith. Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. everybody we're back and uh we're going to be speaking with our guest tonight uh brother brian smith of uh lamberton lodge in lancaster pennsylvania welcome brian how are you guys doing great amazing so so brian i kind of thought of you uh, i've been trying for a while to get a little bit away from just talking freemasonry to talking about you know we do have real jobs and i kind of thought about your job and what you and your coworkers are going through. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, where you work? Okay. Well, uh, like Pete said, my name is Brian Smith. Um, I'm currently working as a nurse at Lancaster General Recovery Room. Um, I've been up there for approximately six years. I spent 15 years working as an emergency room nurse. And um, thankfully, left the ER before COVID started. Um, but I've been up there now, like I said, for about six years. I've been working as a nurse for, well, going on 24 years this year. So I've been doing this job. This is pretty much all I know. 
So go go back to your uh, your training. So you you where, how did that everything start out with college or with the military? Where did it start? So um, I graduated in 1996 from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. uh, took some time off and uh, started my nursing career April of 1997. Um, I've pretty much done quite a diff- few different jobs as a nurse. Uh, started off my career as a as a camp nurse. I uh, did that for the summer, and then I went into uh, med- medical surgical nursing, cardiac nursing, and then uh, started in the emergency room in 2000. I did that till about 2015, and uh, at that point in time, I reached a point where I needed to have a change and went up to the recovery room, and I've been doing that ever since. Spent you were- uh, seven years in the United States Army Reserve as a Army Nurse Corps officer and uh, resigned in September of 2007. Awesome. And were you uh, stationed anywhere uh, crazy during that time? Uh, no. Um, I was fortunate enough that I, being as a reservist, I never got my number pulled, so I never got deployed overseas, but I did a lot of training I was in Washington, I was in Missouri, I was in Louisiana, I was in Georgia. Um, I was all over the continental United States, but uh, fortunately enough, never got deployed overseas. So stayed safe that way. So as a surgical recovery, right? That's what we're talking about, post-surgery recovery? Yep. So I would like to publicly apologize for anything that I might have said or done while coming out of <laughs> sedation after surgery. That's okay. We don't hold it against anybody. <laughs> I've seen some wacky stuff. I'm just yep. here to say. Me too. Any, uh, what, anything jump to mind for you? Any crazy stories that you can say? You've got to have that fired. Uh, no. <clears throat> um, you know, we have the occasional, uh, you know, it, it's amazing how much and how strong a hundred pound, 95-year-old grandmother. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't think it, but uh, let me tell you, I've, I've seen her take on three or four grown men and uh, pretty much never uh, all the things that come out of her mouth, I don't think she would say at church on Sunday. <laughs> so, it's everything she's been holding back for 95 yep. years. Uh, brilliant. That's right. All the stuff for her. Very, I love it. Yeah, but it's good. It's good. I look at it this way. Um, I always tell myself at this point now that I'm in recovery room, any confusion or, um, you know, disorientation, we actually cause that because right. we have the medications to do that. <laughs> Whereas opposed it's to really my other job, uh, you know, when before I came up there working in the emergency room, uh, that may have been done on their own accord. So... Recreationally, uh, you mean? Correct. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I have to be a little bit more sympathetic if we do it as opposed to if they did it. So, you know, there's very few jobs where we can say it's probably harder now than it used to be. But, you know, I can tell you that I think yours might be one of them because, you know, I talked to you during all the heroin overdoses. You know, tell us how busy the hospital was at, at a given time with, with that epidemic? Well, I mean, you know, when, when heroin really made its big push through the county, I mean, it was nothing for us to see five, six, seven people a day 
Um, mm. We see them anywhere from, you know, just mild overdoses to, you know, I've probably pulled half a dozen people out of a car uh, who were blue or purple in the face and, um, you know, starting IVs on them, giving them medications to reverse the counter effects. Um, you'd be surprised, though, how many people do not like us once we take that high away from them after they spent all that good money. But, you know, you try to make them understand, that, you know, if it wasn't for us, uh, you'd be dead. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, they just go about their business and do their thing. But it, it, it definitely uh, it definitely was a huge problem for a long time. I think it's it's starting to kind of taper off a little. Uh, you know, I don't obviously see it as much anymore, not being right in the front lines. But um, you know, friends of mine still work there, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think uh, heroin is as big of a problem. And you know, quite frankly, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, I think COVID kind of curtailed some of that stuff. You know, people aren't going out and. They don't have access to the amount of mm. recreational things that they did, you know, last year, last summer. So, so um, Brian, just a, here's an oddball off the wall question and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but how did, how did your opinion of the people who were coming in as ODs change over the course of your career in the emergency room? Did you become more sympathetic, less sympathetic? Did you, did you like freeze it all out? Well, I mean, I would say at the beginning when I, the first couple times I saw it, uh, I was probably a lot more sympathetic than near the end of my career in the emergency room. And I guess that probably stems from, you know, seeing the same face multiple times and people utilizing, uh, you know, uh, ambulance services, taking the ambulance away from somebody who could potentially be, you know, dying from a heart attack. Uh, mm. And I'm not, uh, only because, you know, and this is a very sensitive subject, but, you know, uh, for me, you know, people make a choice to utilize that drug. And when you choose to use that, there are ramifications from it. And some of those ramifications obviously can be very deadly. And, you know, things have changed from what it used to be 10, 15 years ago, the amount of stuff that has been put into heroin to try to make you more high, try to get you that buzz quicker, mm. you know, to, to stay in that buzz longer. Uh, those have definitely, um, you know, really pushed the envelope as far as that fine line between getting high and overdosing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you see that same face over and over again and you come in and, and, and we bring you back and then you, you know, curse me out and have nothing but foul things to say about me and we let you go. And two or three weeks later, I see you back again. And it's the same thing. You know, it really kind of wanes on your uh, sympathy, <laughs> sympathy nerve. Yeah, I, I did. I hope that didn't make you uncomfortable, but it, oh, it was just, I was just curious yeah. how, you know, how you, how you change in that if, cause I, I could see some people going the other way and, and just becoming more and more angry at the system and, and wanting to, 
wanting to make people's lives better. Just well, could from see med- it go either way. Yes, and from a medical standpoint, when I see people that are struggling to, um, you know, make ends meet to get you know medications that would potentially, um, you know, keep them alive, like insulin and epinephrine, um, you know, for you know allergic reactions and mm-hmm. cardiac meds and those things that are legitimate, in my opinion, legitimate medical problems that need legitimate medications and all of those people can't even afford. But yet, you know, th- there was a huge push for the last year, two years to make Narcan free to everybody, mm-hmm. free to the public. Yeah. So little Jimmy can unfortunately go to class and, you know, little Johnny's mom didn't realize little Jimmy was allergic to peanuts, make some cookies for the class. Next thing you know, he's suffering an anaphylactic reaction and he can't have epinephrine because the classroom can't afford it. Yeah. So that, 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 that really uh, kind of struck a nerve for me in the medical. Yeah, I, I, I think Narcan is the definition of unintended consequences. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, they're having, and this is legitimately true, the new thing is now is they're having Narcan parties where one person... Oh, per- God. Don't even finish the story. <laughs> well, I mean... Oh, God. You opened this Pandora's box, so... Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> one, really per- one person stays sober Narcan, and everybody pushes as far as they can go, and then they're there to bring it back, and all is oh, well. Geez. So... So you can see why my sympathy factor is a little light in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Now, your uh, significant other, she still works in the ER, correct? <laughs> she sure does. <laughs> and I also heard a rumor, um, without getting into HIPAA, we can we can beep it out, but didn't you guys both test positive for COVID-2 at one point? We sure did. We sure did. Yeah, we both, uh, um, we were down and out for about, 10 days or so. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but, um, but yeah, yeah, we both tested positive. Um, I've had one vaccine so far. She's had both of hers of the series. So I'm going in about two weeks, two weeks, I think to get my second dose. So what is your understanding? This is kind of, it's along that subject. Um, so once you get the vaccine, it doesn't mean you can't get COVID, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. I mean, it's um, now it's not like a flu vaccine where they introduce a little bit of flu um, to, to allow um, the antibodies to build up. Uh, this is a uh, it's basically it, it, it retrains the cells to identify um, the COVID the COVID virus to realize that, hey, this is not supposed to be in your body, and you start building up antibodies. So if it recognizes that COVID virus, it will then be able to fight it off. Now, just like anything else, that doesn't mean you still can't get COVID, but just like the flu, everybody always says, oh, well, I got a flu shot, I got the flu. Well, you may have still gotten the flu, but you weren't, like, hospitalized, you weren't down and out for a month. Mm-hmm. You just got a very minor form of it, which is the hope. I don't right. think most people have any idea how bad the flu is. Right. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you if you really honestly and truly got the flu, believe me, 
you would get a flu vaccine every year. You'd get multiple if you could <laughs> to prevent that from ever happening again. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a quick we'll take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to um, dig in a little more into COVID and just some more all things Brian. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market, and a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge in Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. As far back as the mid-1800s, records exist describing the pre-meaning tradition of brethren smoking cigars during and after gatherings. To this day, the practice of smoking cigars remains very much alive in many lodges. This custom is considered a time for brethren to relax, exchange ideas, and enjoy the simplicity and fellowship that is the very essence of our brotherhood. This is what Hireman Solomon Cigars is all about. Our starting principles are to bring Masonic brethren together in the harmony of a good cigar. Pull up a chair, sit back, light up any of our premium cigars, and enjoy the history. Hireman Solomon Cigars can be found at fine cigar retailers. For a complete list, visit HiremanSolomonCigars.com or check them out on social media to find out when they'll be at a live event near you. Hireman Solomon Cigars is pleased to be the official cigar of the Masonic Light Podcast. And we're back uh, with our guest, uh, Brother Brian Smith, who is a uh, recovery room nurse and a former ER nurse. Um, and we're kind of talking right now a little bit about the, the COVID um, crisis. And Brian, from the beginning of this till now, what kind of things have really changed at the hospital as far as, you know, procedures and, you know, quantity of patients and all that and amount of hours everybody's working? Sure. So, you know, when everything started, you know, nobody knew what to expect. So, um, you know, the hospital maybe had 40 patients in the hospital. Um, unfortunately at, at that time, there wasn't a lot of treatment plans. They were still, you know, trying to work things out. I mean, the biggest thing about COVID you have to remember is is that most diseases that we get vaccinated for, um, 
there's a lot of scientific stuff that's going on in the background that nobody sees. Uh, somebody will do a test and another scientist will, you know, uh, basically come up with data that's against that test and so on and so on. And then, you know, they finally come up with potentially a vaccine, a treatment plan, and then it's exposed to the public. So the problem is, is that, you know, and from a scientific community, uh, you know, we understand that, that, that process, there's a lot of people out there that don't understand that. So everything about COVID is happening in real time. So if you remember way back at the beginning, you know, everything was, you know, you, you, you couldn't touch anything. You had to spray everything down and COVID could live on surfaces for 24 to 48 hours. And then about a month later, they said, well, it doesn't really live that long. So, you know. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, um, you know, basically, um, you know, we're learning as we go. So when when COVID first came out, we had 40, 50 cases in the hospital. The entire place shut down, like. All surgeries were canceled, anything elective. We cut off all of visitors. Everything just shut down. And then, we, you know, that went on for a few months, and we started kind of learning new things, and things started opening back up. Um, as far as the hospital's concerned, we started doing some more procedures. We occasionally would allow a visitor for certain things. Um, and we've kind of adapted as we've learned, um, and we, you know, there are certain things that we can do as far as our surgical cases or other elective things that we need done. We can still do those safely. Um, you know, the problem is, is that we're testing more and more and more. So just like anything else, you test more people, more people are going to come back positive, but the average, I would say the average daily census for COVID in the hospital now is probably about 90 people. Um, so we've definitely seen a, a, an increase in that. Um, not all of them are as sick as they were, you know, February, March, April, but there's definitely a larger number of those people. But more people are catching it earlier, right? I think so. And I think the thing is, is that a lot, you know, you know, when, when COVID first hit the U S it was in its infancy and, you know, the unfortunate thing with a new disease when it's in its infancy, it is constantly mutating and it mutated and mutated and mutated. So you would find a treatment, try it. And then all of a sudden that treatment didn't work for the next person. And I think what's happened is, is that now that it's, it's, it's kind of mutating to a point where people are catching it earlier, people aren't getting as sick. And fortunately enough for us now is people that are getting sick that are requiring hospitalizations. There are uh, concrete treatment plans in place that are working. Right. That's the big thing. So the percentage, say, of people that have to go to the hospital versus percentage of people that have to go to ICU – is that Correct. so? That's going down. The people are getting treated earlier, better. If that makes sense. I, I would say so. I mean, like uh, uh, when I say we have ninety to one hundred people, you're talking maybe fifteen of those are in ICU, as opposed to when we first started. 
the only people that were in the hospital were in ICU. A lot of those people are in just medical surgical beds requiring maybe some additional oxygen, maybe requiring some additional um, you know, medical treatment, but are definitely stable as opposed to people that got sick at the beginning, you got sick and you ended up in the ICU. So, so is, your, is your experience still that those who are elderly and obviously with other underlying conditions, do they continue to be the most at risk in your experience? Uh, I would have to say, in my opinion, yes. Um, you know, I, I, I still, you know, we have the occasional outlier um, that is in uh, critical care. But I would say if you looked at the amount of critical patients, I would stay still. The average age is, you know, mid-70s to late-70s to 80s. And, you Kinda know. Kind of like uh, Masonic Lodge. <laughs> Just saying. Cross, cross section. Yeah. And, and, you know, underlying medical problems. But. Yeah. So, so Brian, how has, how has your, um, I, I hesitate to use the word behavior because it, it sounds like it means something, but how is your, how have your actions changed, um, in real life as a result of COVID? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, going into Wawa, you know, do you go in with your hands in the post scrub position and <laughs> open the door with your elbow and you know, all that kind of stuff or you've your front line. I mean, I don't know anybody that's closer to the front line. Um, how, yeah. how has it affected you and your like day to day activities? That kind of well, thing. I mean, you know, when I, when this all first started, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, I honestly, I kind of thought, you know, that we're kind of blowing this out of proportion. This is a this is a coronavirus based, you know, illness. Uh, we've had coronavirus illnesses for decades. Um, I thought that this was definitely, you know, something that was being blown bigger than it really needed to be. Um, but then I started watching it and I started seeing the influx of patients. I started seeing the influx of critically ill patients and, you know, doing my homework and not, you know, not just watching what all of the major media spewed out at you, but, you know, really doing my research and started realizing that, Hey, this is nothing to joke around about. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is, is if you think about really what truly prevents uh, the spread of coronavirus, it's everything that everybody on this podcast right now learned in kindergarten. Don't be gross. Sneeze in your elbow. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And don't touch other people. And, you know, quite frankly, they've been preaching that for years from the medical side of the house to prevent the spread of flu. And... You know, let's see. We would call that hygiene, <laughs> correct? <right? laughs> Isn't that a thing? And if you look, I mean, the fact that people are actually doing that now, um, you know, you know, you, you, it, it, it's it's truly and honestly, it, it's what's going to prevent the spread of it. But you know, once I got Corona and I survived it, I don't say survived it because you know that makes me sound like oh, I'm a Corona survivor. I mean my bout with Corona was not terrible. Can we get a ribbon made for you? 
You might. Uh, I mean, that'd be green for mucus. That'll be yeah. it. Yeah, that'll. Yeah. Um, but you know, I kind of feel at the point now where it's you know I you know I I wash my hands. I try to make sure that if I go somewhere, I have my mask on. I mean, I'm not so much worried anymore about myself, especially now that I've had it. So I know I have antibodies. Um, I'm in the process of getting vaccinated, so I know I'm producing additional antibodies. But, you know, I might walk into the store and there might be, you know, some little sweet lady that's in there or gentleman that, you know, hasn't had that opportunity to have that. And, you know, so I have to be mindful of that and at least try to do the right thing and protect them. Um, And that's the biggest thing that I think at this point, you know, now that I see these people and these anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and I watch them and see these videos of them and they're out in the public and they're talking about their medical conditions and, you know, and their, you know, their rights and everything like that. And I'm like, you know, listen, this is no joke. This is a real thing. Um, the amount of, for instance, the amount of people that have contracted flu this year is so astronomically low Mm -hmm. compared to previous years. And that is simply from, precautions we've taken for covid it's it's an absolute 100% direct link to the precautions we took for covid has without a doubt pretty much drawn the flu down to almost nothing yeah well sure cuz it's the same vector right i mean it's exactly. the same transmission right it, it, it's it's the same stuff. And you're wearing your mask and you're washing your hands and you're, and, and, and you're just not, you're, you're not being gross. Like it, that's what it comes down to. I love that. That would be such a, a good billboard. Why couldn't, why couldn't we gross. do that? Don't be gross. COVID. Don't be gross. Yeah. That's, 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 that's brilliant. Everything you need to know to learn to protect yourself from this virus. You all learn in kindergarten. Nobody remembers it. But it's everything they taught you in kindergarten. You, no, you, when I was in kindergarten, I was sneeze into your hands and then touch everyone in the room. Exactly. <laughs> you know, little Johnny's back there picking your nose, and and you know the teacher's like, "Stop that! That's disgusting! Don't do that!" You know, sneeze in your elbow. Don't sneeze on your friends. I mean, but that's really what and truly has prevented this virus from, I would say, being any more deadly than it is. Now, I will say, and this is my, I will kind of go off script here of my own personal opinion um you know this this without a doubt uh this virus has definitely been um uh politicized it's definitely been thrown into the media with you know a gallon of gasoline underneath it and it really honestly and truly i think made people more scared than they needed to be and then they also made people more like, well, I'm not doing that than they needed to be. Yeah, hearts got hardened for sure. Both, both, yeah. On both ends of the spectrum. Yep. Yep. And it, and it truly is a shame because, you know, if we could have been a little bit more uh, on the same page, I think we may not have had as many cases or deaths or who knows? Who knows? I mean, I don't, I don't have a looking glass that I could tell you that for sure, but. Well, it just goes back to we, we don't have one set of facts anymore that we agree on. Correct. So, and, and then both of the political parties kind of espouse their own opinion, which is not center. 
So, correct, correct. Well, there we go. So, Brian, um, yeah. are, are are we? I'm going to ask a question that's going to kind of wrap it up. So, I don't want to wrap it up if it's too soon. Shall I? Shall I you want me to? You sure? Yeah, go ahead and ask. Yeah, never stopped us before. So, Is that a right? In 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 your career through the emergency room and through recovery, what? is your happiest moment? Um, Seeing me wake up. <laughs> <laughs> He's been there twice for my operation. Oh, oh. That was definitely a good scene, seeing Larry. Were you, holding, were you holding the paddles just in case? <laughs> <laughs> I were you whispering, walking to the light? <laughs> yeah. I, I was just re- intently praying. <sighs> but, um, no, I mean... <sighs> One one particular thing, I don't know if I can give you one particular thing, but you know, I've seen, you know, I've I've seen people that have come in in horrible situations, and um, you know, we've been able to bring them back from that. We've been able to save them from that, and you know, to see that that look on their loved one's face when we're able to say to them, "Hey, listen, you know." your loved one was in a bad way, but you know, we're, you know, we've been able to stabilize them. We've been able to get them back. Um, now, you know, not knowing what's going forward. Or that no, no, don't screw it up. <laughs> but, you know, you know being, able to, being able to tell a family member, Hey, you know, I know this, you came in in a horrible point in your life, but Hey, guess what? You know, your loved one's still with us. So cool. Yeah, that's been a good thing. Well, what, uh, us civilians, we appreciate you and, and everything yeah. that you and the people you work with do. So. Well, thank you. And I'm going to ruin this. Well, maybe we can put this back before that. So, like, what is a bad day? What was a bad day, especially on the on the ER side? What was a bad day? No, not a specific bad day, but, like, just, you know, the type of incidents and type of things that kind of stuck with you. Well, the worst I think for me is, you know, when you have like a, a, a multiple person, you know, vehicle injury and there's, you know, uh, a parent that is unfortunately, you know, hasn't made it in to the ER and there's a parent that's in the ER and they're still alive and you're trying to save them and there's children involved and nobody knows what's going on or, you, you, you can't really, you know, tell them what's going on because you don't, you may not know, or, um, you don't want them to know at that point because you're, you're more concerned with trying to keep them focused on themselves. Um, but you know, it never fails. I mean, kids are always the worst They're, without a doubt. Um, you know, people always ask me, you know, I, I'm a very uh, cynical type person, um, I tell a lot of like, you know, dark jokes. Um, no, not you, Brian. <laughs> no. well, that's, that's standard for nurses, cops, firefighters. That's just kind shocked, of like, shocked. I tell you, but I tell you, um, you know, all the people that I ever worked with in the emergency room, um, you know, we, we were a very, uh, close knit twisted family. Um, you know, it was, it was 
without a doubt. Uh, you can ask, I mean, you can t- talk to anybody that's ever had any type of psychological schooling whatsoever. It is without a doubt a coping mechanism. Um, barring people in the military, uh, people in, in, in the emergency rooms and trauma rooms have seen the most horrible things that most people shouldn't have to deal with in their normal lives. Um, even to this day, you know, working in the recovery worm, I work with a bunch of very, very great people. A lot of them have never been exposed to ER type medicine. And when they hear these horrible things happen, you know, they're very aghast by it. They're very taken back by it. And I'm like, is it lunchtime yet? I mean, it doesn't even affect me. I mean, it really doesn't. I mean, I've been in rooms with horrible stuff going on and walked out of the room and sat down at my desk and ate my lunch and charted all my, all my patients. I mean, that's just your, that's the way you cope with what we did. And, you know, um, but it's, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, it's been a great profession. I love it. I love the people I've always worked with. Um, I, you know, I'm glad I'm out of the emergency room now and in the recovery room. Um, it definitely has helped my blood pressure yeah. and uh, my psyche a little. Um, so, Is like I said, now I know if they're, if they're confused, we made them confused. And once they wake up and they're stable, I don't have to see them anymore. So that's always good. <laughs> so back to your uh, point about being able to go eat lunch. Sounds like you've been able to establish some really healthy boundaries uh, with the work that you do versus the rest of what Brian is all about. Yes. I mean, I've always been a firm believer, no matter how bad your day was, I was always really, always pride myself that at the end of the day, when that, when that, uh, bad swipe through that, you know, time clock at the end of the day, that's where it ended. And that's where you left it. Um, You know, you can talk about it, but, you don't bring any of that home with you. you just leave it at the leave it at the office. That's it. That's awesome. Uh, Tim and Jack, uh, I think it's Larry. Larry too. Before his uh, all of his millions of health issues, um, <laughs> Brian is also a huge cigar guy. Oh yeah, I see him often at uh, our one of our favorite cigar spots. Yes, I was actually there today. <laughs> we would love for him to be a sponsor of the show again. Well, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> see if you can find his checkbook. <laughs> I will do what I can. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and uh, I'll get on to the other things in the show, but Brian will stay here with us in case we think of something later. Unlocking Symbols with Symbologist Michelle Snyder. The Lady of the Lake, unlocked. Oral tradition is fundamental to our golden key. To unlock the secrets of the Great Lady, we must tell a story about an event in history which has been buried in time, deconstructed, and rewritten, yet glimmers of it survive in the tales of Arthur and Avalon. A storyteller might tell it this way. For 1,200 years they blocked the Mediterranean, preventing any trade or travel across the sea by placing armies at four locations. Their armies were supplied with bronze for weapons. They maintained vigilant watch for centuries. No one 
and no thing got through without their permission. No food, spices, fabric, or tools, and no tin. Without tin, bronze weapons could not be made for soldiers who might then fight to free up the trade routes and rescue those taken as slaves. Generations passed. Centuries later, somewhere in the north on a bitter cold winter night, peat from the bog was now blazing in the hearth, warming the tiny farm cottage. Bellows blew gusts of air at the flames to help the fire rage against the cold. As she labored to increase the flames, she gazed at the drops that were oozing slowly out of the peat. They dripped and dripped, forming a small rivulet. As it trickled away from the flame, it cooled and hardened. She usually scraped the hard drops off the hearth by herself, but now being with child, she asked him to help. That is when it all changed. Soon men stood at forges, pounding iron into great swords to be used by the king's men. With them, they fought to clear away the blockade that choked access to the Mediterranean. These great men became legends, heroes of their time. Stories were told about them by bards sitting around hearths. They told of dire battles and great victories. They told of desperate attempts to rescue beloved wives and daughters from the fortresses of the enemy. They told of a mighty king and his magic sword. The greatest of these legends was about a wondrous lady, a goddess of the lake, the vestige of the farm lady and her peat fire oozing iron. It was the great lady, they said, that gave them the magnificent swords used by the kings and knights in the battle for free trade. She had raised an iron sword from the bogs of the north and handed it to the king. The iron swords provided by the Lady of the Lake defeated the bronze weapons of the enemy, heralding the end of the Bronze Age. To ensure her continued blessing and an abundant supply of iron, the knights pledged to return their sword to the Lady of the Lake when they retired. It was an honorable tradition. Give back what you were given so others could receive when they were in need. Our golden key can see history in myths and stories, hearing whispers of times forgotten. For more like this, read Symbology Hidden in Plain Sight. Next time, we will unlock the secrets of the Green Man. If you'd like to take a deeper look, be sure to check out Michelle's book, Symbology Revision. A link for purchase can be found on the Freya Foundation website. That's freafoundation.net. While you're there, take a look at some of Michelle's other works and find out more about the Freya Foundation and its mission to research and publish the Ensman archives. In Masonic News Today, the Grand Master has announced that limited Masonic activity may resume beginning February 1st. While this is welcome news for Masons across the jurisdiction, several Masters of Lodges are struggling to decide whether to install their successors or break the logjam of candidates waiting to receive their degrees. A recent warning from the District Deputy states, whatever you do, don't eat the green beans. They've been in the freezer for over a year. <laughs> That's the Masonic News. So won't it was. <laughs> Very good, Brother Walter. <laughs> oh.
Timmy, that may, be too, that may be a little too close to home in some cases. <laughs> Check the expiration date on your green beans, brethren. Oh, Lord. Yeah, the mayonnaise? No, don't even open the mayonnaise. No, no, no. Jeez. Oh, man. Brian, you know, uh, you can smoke cigars at Ephrata once all this comes undone. Yeah. You can do that now. I'll let you in. We'll go upstairs, shoot some pool. Smoke a cigar. It'll be Have good. a beverage in a solo cup. One of these days, we'll do a podcast from there again. Um, yeah, we'd like to thank them for storing our gear for yeah. the last year. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Seriously, gear. though, Brian, in, in Ephrata, um, along the street front is cigar shop, liquor store, Masonic Lodge. Right hey. there, one, two, three, right next to each other. So, so you can die on the streets and be happy. It's your kind of place. That's and right. A and a pizza shop on the other side, right? Oh, holy hell. Guess I'll have to be driving to Ephrata now. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So, Pete, what do you have coming up Masonically over the next, uh, I don't know, two weeks? Gosh, I don't know. Um, I've been really just dug into getting Tall Cedars books in order. We finally got their... Uh, we got money invested in a – so here's a crazy thing. So we are a 501C8, which is a like a club or you know fraternal organization. Mm-hmm. And we tried to invest a bunch of money with a, a mutual fund, and they wanted a piece of paper to prove that we were nonprofit. Well, I've got the past 10 years of tax forms, but um, – and there's this form they were looking for, but that only applies to 501c3s. Mm-hmm. So it took me about a day on the phone and on the internet, and I finally got the state of Pennsylvania to fax me a piece of paper from the early 80s that somehow said <laughs> that we're a nonprofit corporation and uh, our nice. money's invested. So. Well done. I was concerned because you know we are we were formed in 1920. I didn't think they would go back that old, but so the 80s. Tim, anything for you? Well, actually, in about an hour, I will be uh, joining in on the Monday and Thursday uh, edition of the Eureka West Shore Lives Number 302 Toast to Absent Brethren. Uh, we have uh, rejoined that. Uh, Tradition uh, to going on Mondays and Thursdays rather than every other, every night of the week, um, and I'm guessing we'll do that through the end of the month till we reopen again. Um, then on Saturday, um, of course, this will all be over with by the time this airs. But um, there will be a secretary and treasurer training conducted. Um, and if you're listening to this on the podcast and weren't a part of that, and would like to receive um, the link. To view that training, you can send me an email at my secretary's uh, email address, secy0302 at pagrandlodge.org, and I'll be happy to send you the YouTube link so you can watch the secretary treasurer training. Um, yeah, other than that, uh, just getting ready for stated meeting, I sent out um, like six letters today to candidates waiting degree work. And yeah, it's just, uh, I think we had all kind of gotten our minds 
that we weren't going to go back until like April, and now all of a sudden it's in two weeks. So it'll be a busy time. Larry, have you been doing it? You have anything coming up? Uh, no, no news uh, right now. Uh, we're looking at probably getting Goose and Gridiron started sometime in March, but probably not before. I think a lot has to do with the vaccine availability for the old people. And the wait staff. The 1Bs, the 1 Bravos. Josh, what do you have coming up with uh, Lamberton? Uh, not too much, just the normal behind-the-scenes stuff. Trying to figure out what we're going to do uh, in two weeks. Are you, yeah, are you guys going to meet, or do you got to decide that still? Uh, well, we, we still got to figure out, yeah, we still got to decide what we're doing. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. Brian, do uh, you have anything coming up uh, exciting, Masonic or non-Masonic? Um, no, I'm actually off these two weeks. I had a little minor procedure done for some carpal tunnel, so I'm just kind of relaxing at home for the next couple of weeks, and that's uh, pretty much it. You know, bourbon and cigars is a great therapy for that. I, I firmly agree. That's why I've been uh, really uh, promoting that. <laughs> well, we might have to come meet you at said cigar shop. Yeah, we could do that. Just let us know a day and time. Will do. Will do. I'll definitely look at uh, maybe we can do something next week. Awesome. Very cool. Larry. Yo. Why don't you get us, take us out of here? Take us out of here. Can I talk about what I'm doing? Yeah, you didn't oh. ask Jack. Hey, Jack. Stop. Chickens, get back in their cage. So I threw him off, and I started by asking I him. I know it. And that exactly. just completely screwed him up. So, Jack, what have you been up <laughs> That's my in a dark place music. Thank you. Um, well, I, I'm, I started a, um, a small um, Facebook page um, for a Masonic book discussions. And it's an open page. It's open to, to anybody. I don't know what it's going to end up being all about. I just know that I need to read more. Uh, and I need some accountability in that. So I, st so I made myself accountable to whoever wants to join. The group on Facebook is called the Agora, A-G-O-R-A, -A, a Masonic book discussion. Um, it's not formal. There's no, you're not going to get a medal out of it. Um, there, there's nothing here except doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is growing in knowledge. Um, and, um, and it's, it, I'm not an, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, but, uh, I, it's worth talking about. So if you, if you're interested in that kind of thing, look us up on the interwebs, uh, and hit me up for an invite and we will, um, we'll talk. It's a good idea. Are hey, Jack, maybe, are you going to charge Jack, me for an ad? Cause I'm not making any money on this. <laughs> Jack, maybe we need to do the book corner again for Masonic Light. Oh Lord, Larry, no! That let that lay. That corpse, oh. is, that corpse is already <laughs> dissolved into the dust. Chickens, where are the chickens? chickens. Bring the chickens. To the chickens, damn it! Where are the chickens? Okay, uh, I had a friend who was killed by a weasel. Oh wait a minute! Oh, 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 special thanks to Everett Lodge 665 for keeping our furniture clean and eating the office and doing all those great things since we haven't been there since March. We will be back. Like uh, MacArthur said, we'll return. Thanks to Josh Lamberton, our producer and director, who 
continue to make the show great. Thanks to Jack Harley, our news director, and to Timmy Dedman, our marketing director. Our Masonic-like contributors, Michelle Snyder, Jim Stevens, and the great Douglas Dedman. I just want to mention one thing about the friend and the weasel. But, uh, no, I'm learning about that. I, I just want to say one thing in closing that a man, they say that a man is judged by the company he keeps. And I'm not surprised that my reputation is in tatters. This is Larry Maris. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh, this is Tim. Good night, everybody. Oh, I just, no words. Oh. Brian, thank you so much. And uh, this is Pete. I guess good night. Josh and Brian. Good night. Bye, y'all. Thanks, guys. Sneeze into your hands and then touch everyone in the room.